Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back again to As I Live and Grieve. So happy that you joined us again, and so happy for you to get to know our guest a little bit today. With me today is Paulette Cranjack. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes. Okay. Well, welcome, and I'm so glad that you joined me today. Thank you so much for having me, Kathy. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Before we get totally started with questions, would you just give our listeners a little bit of your background, please? Certainly. I have a master's degree in psychology, and I've studied public health, and I've taken courses on mind-body medicine over the years. And I have had um, a lot of loss. My late husband and I had 12 people die the decade before he died, and he died suddenly after we were together almost 44 years. Wow. To have... Well, I know personally the loss of a spouse is, it's devastating. But to lose 12 people in a period of time is horrendous. It truly is. So I'm going to just go right out on a limb here. Did all of your training prepare you for what you experienced as grief? Oh, that's such a great question, Kathy. Um, I have to say that I had been getting some coaching support from someone at Landmark Worldwide, which is an organization about transformation education. And my late husband and I had done that work as well in the 1970s and were away from it for a very long time, for 35, 36 years. Um, But that I was in a seminar at the time and the seminar leader coached me through some of this, which made a Mm -hmm. huge impact. Um, that plus the fact that I, I did I went on to get trained in grief recovery and certified. And through my synagogue going uh, with the listening to Rabbi David Ingber, where he he talks about compassion and really almost connecting with anybody um, at any time really gave me a lot of courage that even though I didn't have the people and the history and the roots in my life that I could really connect with people. Mm-hmm. So, and it, you know, everything had really come into play. I had, a, I had a wonderful mother who was very independent and loving and really showed me that I could do anything from a very young age because she did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so grateful. Um, and I, you know, just when I when I look at what went into this book that I wrote called New Way to Grieve and really discerning a new way to grieve indeed. Right. Um, I I have to say it was everything in my life that kind of came together, the confluence of everything. Yes. Right. Now you mentioned your book and I do want to talk about that because the title is intriguing. 
you know, if you're just kind of looking for books on the shelf and you see new way to grieve, your first thought is, what do you mean new way? You mean there's more than one way? So what about your method is new? I love that question. Actually, I have chills um, because that's really the crux of why I wrote this book. It was about the four-month mark after my husband died suddenly and everything had been completed, you know, everything had all the paperwork, everything was, you know, sort of normal again. Right. And I, and I looked up one day at home and I thought, okay, you can come home now. And at that moment in time, I thought, oh my God, my life is over. And I, I called my coach and he, he said, I want you to go to the mirror. He goes, look in the mirror. I said, what? He said, look in the mirror. He goes, you're alive. He's, your life is not over. It actually is a lie when you say that. Right. And then he said, what's true is that you can create, you have the opportunity to create a brand new life for yourself. And even though it sounded very harsh at that time to hear those words, I realized that how we say things really paints a picture of the future we're creating for ourselves. Right, right. And I can talk more about that if you'd like. Absolutely. Please do. I'm, I'm fascinated because I know what happened in my life, which is sort of similar, I guess. I didn't have a coach, but I, I know that moment when all of a sudden you feel like something's got to give and you know you're ready for something. So please continue. Yes. So when I thought about it and how people really talk about grief, so I, I think one of, the, one of the things I did early on was I wrote a poem called I'm a Grief. Well, it wasn't called anything. It was just about my experience of grieving. It was about three weeks after my husband had died. And I, I took a walk, as I do, and I ran into this woman who my husband and I had seen this exact same woman in the same spot about a year before. It was unbelievable. I'd never seen her wow. again. She had, at the time we saw her, she had three huge Afghans. She was about four, eight. The Afghans oh. were right you can't right. get the person right but this time she only had two and we instantly remembered each other she remembered my husband and um it turns out she's an author and um and a psychologist ironically and i showed her the poem i had read i had written that day and she said oh my gosh you're a grief surfer and that became the name of, of the poem. And, and I love that poem, by the way. I love that poem. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kathy. I appreciate your support so much. And um, I'm so moved by your questions. So, so fast forward, I, I took that poem with me into a, I was, you know, I put on a happy face. I got my clothing together. I got all dressed. I went to this wo woman's group here in New York thinking, you know, I'm just going to listen. And people were telling their stories. And I was so moved. But what, what kept occurring is that people were telling their stories that had happened nine, eight, seven years ago. 
And they were still living with the horror, the guilt, the shame, the being stuck about the loss that they had. And I said to myself, this is not a place for me. You know, I, I, no, if I, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to look like this in nine years. It's just not happening. Right. And I left the group. Um, what then, what I turned to then, like we all do, is we go on Facebook, right? And I joined some widow and widowers groups. Right. And, and there was this post. I'm actually kind of reaching to another question that you didn't ask me, which is why how I came to write the book. Is it okay if I answer? Okay, absolutely. So thank you. So I came to this one post, this widower had written, widow, sorry. And she, she was outraged. She said, I'm so angry. My husband's family has invited me for Christmas. Can you believe it? Like they have no empathy about my feelings or being together with the family. And I thought to myself, how lucky, you know, I don't have, I don't have a husband's family. I, I had a few people in his family, but they were busy with their own lives, you know, sure. and it's a real gift when your in-laws want to have you around, I think. Right. So I said to myself, well, how would she have felt if they didn't invite her at all? And I posted just that. I got up the courage and I posted mm. it. And within minutes, people were saying, you know, all these emojis, likes, and yeah, I never get any attention when right. I post it here. They were like eight <laughs> within five minutes, right? And I, and they and one of them asked me, how did you get to this? And can I know you personally? And so we we have actually become really good friends. Right. Um and and then what happened was um a friend of mine uh from dance, I I started to dance as as this occurred with the, with mm -hmm. the uh, coach, you know, to, to, to discover new things about myself. And right. I would go every week and it became like a community. And after, a, I don't know, it was probably about five months. Um, I found these two friends, this couple were actually came over and I had, you know, I was talking to them and whatever. And, and in April, on April 8th, he died of COVID. He was one of the early oh. deaths in Teaneck. And she was so bereft. And I, I said to myself, Kathy, I am not, I, all that matters to me is that people don't have to suffer as much as they do and get stuck. Right. It's like, right. there's nothing more important than that. And that's how I came to write this book. Okay. All right. You wanted to reach out and help others. You knew you could. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and can I say something about that? Absolutely. Keep I going. knew I could because if you, this is really the crux of it all. And maybe I went too circuitously, but the crux of it is, you know, the, the definition of grief that's used by so many is this, you know, shocking loss and, you know, you're so, it, you're suffering. Mm -hmm. And, I have, you know, I'm not a religious person, actually, okay. but I have this thought that if, you know, if God or whoever, right, you know, said, okay, well, when somebody dies, you have to suffer for your whole life. Like he wouldn't or she wouldn't have had people dying. I mean, exactly. there, it doesn't. And I also discern that there's something 
there's something very important about being sad, just pure sadness. And I write a lot in the book about pure sadness versus what right. we add to it. Right. And, and for me, that's why it's called New Way to Grieve. Okay. Yeah, I remember parts of your book when you were talking about the distinction between grief and sadness. And I really appreciated that being where I am, because I think I did that myself without realizing that that's what I was doing. So it was kind of nice to have that clarified. And it it let me know that, yeah, I guess, you know, that's what I did. I, I separated them. And I kept the grief because I'm going to grieve my husband for the rest of my life, but I'm going to handle it differently. I'm going to handle it differently and I'm going to handle and manage my life differently as well. Now you mentioned that you had a coach. At what yeah. point did you acquire a coach? Was it intentional? Did you do it because you felt you needed it or what? It's a great question. It's so funny because the, the irony is that we had done this work, this transformational education it, years, decades ago. I was 24. My husband was 28. We did, we did this work and we were away from it for 36, 37 years. Okay. And then we did it again in 2014. And I was in a seminar. Um, I think it was called Creativity Pathways to adventure. I think that's what it was called, which is pretty ironic. My husband died suddenly. And the seminar was being taught by somebody who had worked there way back when I was 24. So I actually knew him, although I hadn't been connected with him in 36 years. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, after this particular coaching he did he called me because I was in the seminar and he felt so bad and I guess he remembered that he knew me and blah 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 um he he offered he said you know we do in 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 the landmark worldwide we do offer special coaching for people would you like that and you know it may give you some structure to create a new um a new set of uh things for yourself in your life and and with that I signed up yeah I did Nice. Do you feel that was a huge benefit for you then? Huge. It, it was huge. And, and the other thing that actually happened around the same time was another seminar leader had reached out to me and I said to him, and it's in the book as well. I said, you don't, you don't understand. Like my husband didn't act right for about two months before he died. He was ornery and short tempered and, I I did it. I totally screwed up. You know, I'm here. I am writing about health. I'm a you know I, I'm a, I've a, had a marketing company for decades and decades. Right now, mm-hmm. it's a little bit idle. Um, but I also became a health writer about I guess in 2008. Okay. And um, you know, I here I am. You know, knowing about this, and yet he wouldn't listen. And I'm to blame. And, you know, that's the other thing that I found that where people get stuck, that they go over, it's almost like being on a hamster wheel. They go over the same thought. If I had only taken him when he, he didn't like tomatoes, something happened, he was sleeping more, something. 
you know, he always liked tomatoes and all of a sudden he wouldn't, whatever. I'm just, you know, being a humorous um, example, but you know, there's a change of some kind and then we blame ourselves. And, and this person offered this kind of coaching to me. He said, okay, you didn't take him to the doctor. I got it. And I said, are you blaming me? He said, no, I want you to know that I hear you. You didn't. And he said, do you, do you get that you didn't? I said, yeah, I, I'm angry. About he said, no, do you just, can you just be with that? You didn't, you chose not to, you chose what you chose and you didn't do what you didn't do. And you said what you said, and he didn't do what he did. It was a whole series, Kathy, of things yeah. to go through. And I, and I cried my heart out. Well, oh, see, that's God. even an example of, of what I'm trying to point to that the way we talk, I mean, I, I didn't cry my heart. My heart was still there, right? Right, right. <laughs> I, I cried a lot. Right. I, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Keeping it real. Yeah. Um, but so when he, when this other gentleman kind of took me through this, I, I was like, well, wait a minute. You're right. I didn't, you know, he didn't, he didn't say goodbye. He didn't tell me he had chest pains. He was a doctor. How, how could that? He goes, right. He didn't do that. Right. Can you be with that? It's like, no, I can't be with that. He should have. Because, okay, after all of that, after all the should and all the could have and only if, can you be with that? And, Kathy, I got to, yes, I can be with that. Right. I'm responsible for what I did. I'm responsible for what I didn't. I'm responsible for what I said, what I didn't say. Right. And and I had to give up blaming him. Mm-hmm you know, making him wrong, Mm -hmm. feeling terrible and feeling guilty because, and, and then I discerned something else. When I finally could give up being angry with him for dying and not taking care of himself and all on top of that, you know, he should have known he was a doctor, all this. Right. I could actually allow myself. I, I, I've never read this anywhere, not any course I've taken, not any coaching that I got, but I could actually allow myself to dream again when I forgave him. Wow. And then when I forgave myself what I did and didn't do, I was actually able to take steps to make my dreams come true. Right, right. It's interesting how we often do that. And I suppose that's for all the phases of grief there are, we get into this bargaining and this, the guilt and everything. And it's, it's just overwhelming. Sometimes you can just spin and spin and spin and spin. It was nice that you had someone tell you to stop. Let's, let's think about this. He he didn't didn't tell you to stop. No, he told me, look, he goes, it's a lie that your life is over. That's it. Okay. okay. All right. And he, he made you see reality and, and think about the words you were using. Exactly. Okay. All right. So what do you and, suggest? And I don't agree that there are stages. I mean, you just mentioned I don't that. either. I don't either. I don't okay. subscribe to that. Yes. Um, that's the common belief. 
is that you go through these phases of grief. Uh, First of all, if there are phases, there are many, many more than that. And there are many that you really can't name, but I don't think you go through phases. I certainly didn't. I, you know, mine was a, a natural progression. Now, how long ago was it that your husband died? It was a long time ago. It'll be seven years, April 30th. All right. I'm coming up on five for my husband. And and you mentioned it was at about the four-month mark that you started to know that something needed to change. Is that a good way to put it? Um, I didn't have that, actually, observation. Right. I had the feeling of of total dread. And I've read so many blogs online that people at the same point in time, four months seems to be the magic number okay. where there's the reality of it that really sets in. Okay. And they realize that their life, the way they had known it is completely ended. Your okay. identity ends There's so much loss, you know, I don't write about it in the book, but I mean, or maybe I I touch upon it, but I can see it could be a whole chapter. I mean, because you're, and I do, actually, I weave it through the book, but not as a chapter per se. Right, right. Because your relationships with people change and, you know, your relationship with yourself, the way you think about your identity, everything, you're not protected, especially as a woman, Today, the mayor of New York talked about women who are menopausal and that we have to be able to use the word vagina, you know, otherwise that's 50% of, of the world. If we're not saying that, there's a problem. And that if women are menopausal, why aren't there, why isn't there air conditioning where people, you know, work? Why, why aren't people accommodating to women's life-changing you know, right. circumstances. And it, it's so true when you're a widow, and I didn't write about this, but I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, there's a bias, I believe, that, that happens as well, mm-hmm. which I'm calling widowism, mm-hmm. uh, where you're just vulnerable in ways that you have never felt vulnerable. Definitely. And people, right, They people take advantage yeah. In little ways, you're, right. you know, you're less than. Mm-hmm. And it's so, I mean, it, it really, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's, you know, you lose your job, let's say, you know, people don't treat you any differently. You lose it's your- certainly very difficult for a widow to come back to work after three days. Please, please. <laughs> if, if all of a sudden you're a widow, whether whether it was a death that was anticipated or not, three days is not going to be enough for you to feel solid enough to go back to work. I was fortunate that I had an employer that was very flexible and allowed me to take my time, allowed me to work in little pieces here and there, have work at home, and all that time still get a paycheck. I was fortunate, but that is not the rule. It is not at all. So you are right there. So how in your book then do you help the reader with yeah. this new way to grieve? What do yeah. you do in your book? That's great. And and also I do it with people who, you know, call me. 
Um, The book takes you through exercises of forgiveness, not unlike what I painted um, with regard to my husband and myself, what I could have done with, you know, and really if you do the work in the book as it's designed and you get a little notebook and you write in it, you know, what the things you're mad about, writing letters to your whoever it is that you love who's gone, who is not alive anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, people have found it's very cathartic and really helps them focus on the aspect of what it really is. Okay. And that's very, very useful. And then you can choose if you are ready to forgive or not. And it's so funny because, you know, you could think about it this way. Well, I can't really forgive you. Okay, I'll forgive you 25%. You know, so then you say, well, if I could get up to 100% of forgiving you, that, you know, you gained weight and you had fasciitis and you didn't go to the orthopedist and, you, you know, you didn't deal with it. And then you probably noticed you had a fast heartbeat or an irregular heartbeat and you did nothing about it. You know, can I forgive you? And if I forgave you, I could actually begin to dream again. And if you know that by forgiving, that how powerful that is, you know, it, it kind of would compel you to take a stab at it. The exercises are very detailed. And it really, it, you're not alone because I walk you through it on every page. And I give you yeah, little, I guess, uh, overviews and little sharings about how I dealt with things. and. I've found people have reported that it's been so helpful. That's great. Now, you mentioned dream. You can dream again. How important is dreaming when you've been grieving? Well, I think they're a juxtaposed concept at this moment in time, just discussing it. Um, And when when you do look in the mirror at whatever time that you do, and you realize that you're, you're still alive, you really have a choice. You, you have the choice to make, you know, how are you going to live your life? What are you going to put in your life to fulfill you, to fulfill what's important to you? And for me, I mean, one of my dreams was I got trained in defibrillators AED machines and CPR renewed my CPR because my son wasn't when he was four. I think I took the CPR for two, took the CPR class um, with the Red Cross. And then I was able to volunteer in two marathons, actually in the medical tent, two years. Yeah. Nice. And I also worked with a state senator, Liz Kruger, to make sure that defibrillators were everywhere that people were because they weren't on the tennis court that my husband played on. And so, you know, the dream could be, you know, what what way can you make a real impact using your loved one's life as something substantive and really to create a legacy? That's great. That's really great. And we all know with the news lately, with the defibrillator played such an important role in Damar Hamilton. Thank you. you. Unbelievable. It really did. Invaluable. 
Yes. And, you know, it's just unbelievable. I mean, there, what, it's just so black and white when you, when you see that. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, oh, you could think of not having them everywhere, really. Yeah. And they're really not that expensive when you consider the cost of a life. Thank you. It, really, really not at all. Not at all. Well, sadly, Paulette, our time is winding down. So before I sign off from the episode today, I want to turn the microphone over to you and let you speak directly to our listeners without me asking any questions and let them know how they can learn more about you, how they can contact you should they decide they want some help. It's, this time is yours. Go right ahead. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Kathy. Um, real, and also, I didn't talk about the three triggers of grief, so maybe another time. <laughs> well, anyway. I'd be happy to have you back. I'd be happy <laughs> to have you. you back. Thank you. So, um, yes, it's P. Cranjack, K-R-A-N-J-A-C, at newwaytogrieve.com. And I, I will respond very quickly. So please feel free to reach out. And also you can reach me on my Facebook page, New Way to Grieve. Um, I think there's a Twitter account as well. I, yeah, I'm on all of the <laughs> social media, although <laughs> I have to really ramp up a little bit. But this has been a delight. Thank you. My pleasure, certainly. You know, I, I'm such a voracious reader anyway. And so much of my reading since my husband died has been books about grief. So I'm always delighted when I get one that even at my stage in my grief journey, that I can still enjoy a book about grief. I don't feel, oh, that was years ago. I don't feel that. There's still something of value in every single book I have read. And in your book, especially, Paulette, it clarified for me some of the things that transpired during my grief journey that I really didn't think fully about, about why they were happening or how I thought. But your book certainly gave me some clarification, and I appreciate that. As well, I love your poem, The Grief Surfer, and even just the image of a surfer surfing those waves, the big ones, the small ones, and then kind of being in the pipe, so to speak. Our, our listeners can't see, but Paulette is holding up her book, New Way to Grieve. My husband's artwork, actually. He is it really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Nice to have that custom book cover then. Yes. Very nice. And Thank the you. book New Way to Grieve is available on Amazon. I'm sure it's available in most every, every bookstore uh, one way or another. So it's actually not in bookstores, but you can also get it at www.newwaytogrieve.com. In other words, if you want the book, listeners, you can get the book. There's <laughs> ways to get the book. So please do. Please consider doing it. It would all also make a great gift for someone maybe who had a loss several months ago. They might be receptive at this time to start thinking about what next, what next for them. I know for me, it was the thought that I had to redefine my life. That was my, my thought. And so I started on that path. At any rate, it's time for us to say goodbye for today. I want to remind every listener out there to practice self-care that is critically important as you grieve. If you know someone grieving, if you're supporting someone grieving, help them remember too that self-care is critical as you grieve. We have to take care of ourselves. 
because generally yeah. speaking, there aren't other people around to do it for us. So, yeah, that's actually in the book too. The your well being, how to handle your well being. It's absolutely. It's there's there's just so much content in this book that you really you really need to get it. You really need to, and read it. I I could be your ab- advocate. Who knows? At no. any rate, it's time to say goodbye, practice self-care, and so please, please come back again as we all continue to live in grief. Thank you so much for listening with us today. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to cover or do you have a question from one of our episodes? Please email us at info at asiliveandgrieve.com and let us know. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.